verses of Exodus 20 and verse 18, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 18 says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. So I pray, Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for what we've uh, heard already this morning, uh, just the sharing from 1 Chronicles. Uh, we pray now as, uh, as the preaching happens that you would speak powerfully uh, to us and we would be a people oh, who are ready and willing right now to listen to what you have to say. Please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So I was going to preach like two sermons before getting into the commands. Um, I think I've dumped that idea uh, and just kind of like jumping straight in. Um, there is a lot of uh, misunderstanding about the Ten Commandments, uh, but I think we're probably going to deal better with that as we go along. Uh, so there is a life that everybody leads, a burdensome life, a life that is difficult and hard. All of us have experience of this kind of living. Thomas Watson, uh, an old dead dude, uh, that's all you need to know, uh, but he's a bit of a genius. He says this, how does a man wear himself out in the service of sin? Waste his body, break his sleep, distract his mind. A wicked man is every day doing sin's drudgery work. And we've all done that. We've all led a life like that, a life which has been um, a terrible life, a wearing life, an exhausting life, and a sleepless life. We've all lived that. That is the life of sin, that is. That's the life of sin. He also says this, the commands of sin are burdensome. Let a man be under the power of any lust, how he tires himself, what hazards he runs, even to endangering his health and soul, that he may satisfy his lusts. What a tedious life that is. And it's living that kind of life that is the background to the Ten Commandments. That kind of life, burdensome, wearisome, sleepless, exhausting, just chasing after your heart's lusts and desires. That's the background, a tedious life, one where the wages of sin is death. That's what it pays out, that kind of life. That kind of life is not an attractive life. That kind of life pays out in death. It has a lot of promises, but they turn out to be empty promises. They promise life, but it brings death. It promises hope, but it delivers hopelessness. That's what that life delivers. And a life like this has no meaning. You go off to school and you're like, I'm bored and I can't see any meaning in it. You go to work and you're like, what am I doing here? There is no meaning to my life. Everything is like a chasing after the wind. That is what this kind of life is. But then God comes on the scene. And there's so much of this in the Bible, isn't there? of when everything is doom and gloom, there is something that God does. There is darkness, and then there is light. There is death, and then there is life. And God does it in this passage. Uh, that life that we're all too familiar with, God says, enough of that. 
Enough of that. That is not the life that I have got for you. And that is the Ten Commandments. That's a bit bizarre, isn't it? You don't think of the Ten Commandments like that. You don't think of the Ten Commandments coming in and saving the day, do you? No, we don't think like that. But this is what it says in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 2. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. This is telling you what happened on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, when God came, it was such a big event. It's such a big event, it was seen on two other mountains. The whole sky lit up um, as the thunder and lightning kind of kicks off. Uh, The rumbles on the ground could be felt from miles away. But what a present are myriads of angels. Myriads of angels. That, That shows you that there's something exciting going on. There is something really exciting when the angels pour out from the heavens onto a field, that's when Jesus was born. Do you remember that? In Luke chapter 2, this isn't, you know, peace on earth. That's Jesus, that is. But this is life on earth. This is life breaking through and breaking in. God has come down on the mountain. His angels are loving it. The angels are excited. The angels are present to show that this is a heavenly life that God wants to give us. And Deuteronomy tells us, it is the good life. Choose life. It is the good life. This, what we have here, is the good life. There is life for all of us here this morning. There is life for the children of our church, for the babies. There is life for the men, life for the women, life for the old, life for the young. There is life on offer from God, and it is called the good life. You see, we we totally turn this upside down, don't we? We think the good life is we trust Jesus. uh, We're kind of sorted now for eternity. Uh, We're pretty safe. We got that ticket in your back pocket, and now I want to live a life that looks like I'm going to hell because that is the good life. The good life is just getting what I want, is having what I want, being able to do what I want. That is the good life. And there's lots of bands that have sung about this, One Republic and uh, a a band called Weezer uh, back in the day sang a song and they entitled it The Good Life. This is the good life. For the oldies, isn't it? There was a program back in the day on the BBC, isn't it? Uh, called The Good Life, uh, with Felicity Kendall in it and uh, uh, Penelope Keith. Um, I remember seeing that. And that, that was about like going, uh, doing something what people are doing now, actually, going back to growing your own veg, and it's the good life. Whatever it is you think is the good life, if it isn't this, then it's not the good life. God comes. There is a heavenly life that God wants you to know, and it isn't about getting what you want. It isn't about what doing what you want. It's about living this heavenly life. And that is what God wants for us. And it, at the very beginning now, at the outset of the Ten Commandments, you've got to understand that this life, these commandments, it's like, it's like in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember the Garden of Eden? Was it a hardship for Adam and Eve in the garden? It wasn't, was it? 
Because you're told in Genesis that the Lord planted a garden east of Eden, and there He put the man. And in this garden, what's it like? Oh, it's just mud. It's not like that, is it? The picture you get of the garden is, it's not a chore to be there. It's not even a chore, is it, to, to actually tend the garden, which is quite incredible. But it's not a chore to be there. What is there are trees with lovely, juicy fruit on it. And you could walk for days, for days, and get hold of when we were over Josh and Sarah Clark's in their back garden, their neighbors had gone away, and their raspberries were ripe. So we were like over the wall, taking these raspberries and eating them, and they were delicious, absolutely delicious. That's Adam and Eve's life, right? Walking with God and enjoying all that he had made. And as you come to the commandments, you've got to look at them like that. You've got to look at them like that. There's that all of life is in front of you. All of life is in front of you. Enjoy life. Adam and Eve, enjoy. There's one tree. What? One tree? Is that all? One tree we can't eat of? There's like a million trees planted. Yeah, this one though, this one, do not eat the fruit of that one. You eat that one and you're going to die. Their life is not restricted in any sense really, is it? Hey, I'll just go this way. The tree's there, I'll just go this way and work my way around. The commandments are all of life is ahead of you. All of life is around you. Enjoy life. But just make sure you don't do these 10 things. Just make sure you stay away from these 10 things. If you do these 10 things, then you will die. It will kill you. It will suffocate your life. That's how you're to approach the 10 commandments. It's like getting all of the supermarkets together. And I don't know whether you shop uh, or where you shop, like uh, we do it on the internet, which is quite cool. Uh, but I do like go in there. I like go in there now because we do it on the internet. Um, and so when I walk in with the kids, we're not doing like a, a two-weekly shop. That's, that's a nightmare, isn't it? Taking a trolley and going, oh, my days, we've got we to gotta get in and we've got to get stuff and then we've got to get out. No, I go in there now and I'm like, this whole store is mine. <laughs> Me and Jacob went to Screwfix yesterday and we popped into Tesco. Uh, and Mel wasn't there, so it was a bag of swizzles, um, a bag of star, star mix, um, a bar, another bag of something, and then an Oreo something. And then we're like, right, now what did mom ask us to get? Now we're on the list. But imagine a place that has Tesco's in it, and then it has Sainsbury's in it, then it has M&S food in it for their £10 evening meal deals, right? Imagine that. Imagine then you get Waitrose involved, the, the posh, um, and you get Lidl's and all these in there as well uh, for the cheap. Uh, and, then, and then you get Booker's in on the case, so it's like bulk buy-in, isn't it? And Costco, we had some donuts on Thursday night at Cornerstone, which made everyone sick, uh, but that's because we pigged out. Uh, so imagine all of that under one roof. All of that. And God says, look, next to the tomatoes is a box. In it, pomegranates. Eat them and you will die. It will kill you. That one box. That one box amongst all of this. Are you crazy? I'm not going there. Stuff that. I won't even touch that. When I've got all of this to enjoy. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're not a stick which God wants to beat you with. It's like, no, no, I want you to live. 
I want you to have this heavenly life. And I want you to see these commands, not of something I'm going to beat you with, but something which will give you this life. This is the life that I want you to live. Stay away from this. Stay away, and you will live. So kids, you can do whatever you want for your mum. Do you know? You can come home from school, and when you're asked, what did you do today? You can say, instead of saying nothing, you could say, well, I had a good time playing in the yard. Um, We did some maths. We did some English. And yeah, it was good. And your mum will love it. You can do that. You could also offer your mum a cup of tea. And you could go to the kitchen under the supervision. Maybe you're putting the kettle on and stuff. You can do that. Bring it to her. Uh, You can even do a bit of tidying in your bedroom. You can do loads of things for your mother. It is like God is like, do what you want for your mum. But make sure you listen to her. Make sure you listen to her. You disobey your mum. All that stuff's not going to matter. It's not going to mean a thing if you can't listen to her. That's what the commands are. It's like, don't commit adultery. Oh, go and get married. If you get married, enjoy your wife. Enjoy your husband. And you can enjoy them in all different ways. You can enjoy them socially. You can enjoy them, uh, you know, just you two on a holiday. You can enjoy them in the bedroom. You've got multitudes of ways of of enjoying the one uh, that you are married to. But God, don't go outside of that. Outside of commit adultery, it's going to kill it. It's going to kill that relationship, and it can never be the same again. Don't do that. That's going to kill it. Do you, get, do you understand these commands? These commands, God appears like, no, I don't need to live that life, that life that is burdensome, that life that is hard, sleepless nights, you just lusting after stuff. No, I want you to live this life, this heavenly life. What a great life it is. This is the good life. The life that is is cruel. The life that is blinding. The life that is narrow-minded and bigoted is the sinful life. It's the sinful life. The sinful life isn't the one with many options. An adventure. No, no. It is this life. The good life. So how are you supposed to live this life? How are you supposed to do it? Well, before we get into really answering that, let's have a look at this first, um, the second, the second verse, where he says, "I am the Lord your God." If you are to live the good life, you need a God who claims you as His own. Yeah, so He doesn't come with a bunch of commands and say, "Right, get on with this." No, no. Before we get to that, you've got to understand this: that these are not just given to every single person of the world. No, he says, I am the Lord your God. You need a God who claims you as his own. And the God here isn't some distant God, right? Because he makes it on top of the mountain. He comes down. He comes down. Jesus has brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He brings them out and across the Red Sea. He brings them to this mountain so that they can meet the Father. That is the God that you need. You know, when uh, um, Aaron did his speech at his wedding, he says something like this, doesn't he? he? Everyone does this, my wife and I. And there he's saying, no, 
I have made her mine, and I am hers. I am Jasmine's. We belong together, and it's exactly the same way that it happens here. He says, I am the Lord your God. That needs to happen if you were to, to live the good life. So if you don't know God, if God to you is someone who is mean, someone who does want to beat you with a club over these commandments, if, if you, that's your idea of God, you don't know You don't know the true and living God. The true and living God is nothing like that. Nothing like that. But to live this good life, you need that God. Do you remember when Jesus came into the world? He speaks to his Father in heaven. They've got a lovely relationship, haven't they? Um, And um, often uh, the Father will just burst out in praise. We saw this last week, isn't it, at the baptism. We read Luke chapter 3. When Jesus is baptized, this is my son, oh, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You've got this father who is rejoicing in his son. You've got a son who is saying, I am the son. I am sent from the father. When he is um, resurrected and he's returning, what does he say? He says, I am going back to my father and my God. That's not all he says. He says, I'm going back to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. When he teaches us how to pray, isn't he? He doesn't say, now this is what you should say, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He owns us. We are his and he is ours. We're to look at him and say, our Father To live this good life, you've got to have a God who owns you. And it's often embarrassing to own things, isn't it? Do you you remember, like, when I was in school, you know, you you do games and you get changed in a changing room. It's all very embarrassing, isn't it? But when the teacher holds up a pair of Y-fronts, do you know the ones which are brown and cream? Anyone relate to this? Whose are these? And you've got to go, oh, you've got to be kidding. You now was going commando because you couldn't find them. Now these pants of yours are held up. And it is embarrassing to own it. They are mine. They're mine. And often they would not be very clean. Isn't it? Sometimes to own things is embarrassing. I don't know what kind of car you drive, but often that can be embarrassing. It's like I'll leave everyone go first and I'll get in my shed um, and drive it away. And the angels coming down, and imagine they said this, whose people are these? Whose people are these? Look at them. They just come out and they're whinging already. They're like, oh, why have you brought us in the desert to die? Don't they know what you've done? Whose people are these? And God says, I am the Lord your God. He owns them. How does God think about you? How does he feel about you? Oh, he sees you as a special possession, Jeremiah 12, 7. You're my special possession. Zephaniah three seventeen. you know this verse, isn't it? That he takes great delight in you and rejoices over you. Talks about you being a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So you need to be owned by this God before you can live the good life. And that's something you've got to get straight before you go into all the commands. 
It is something you've got to understand. And that means that children, when you're going off to school and you're taking your little lunchbox and you're walking with your mum and dad holding their hands, um, you can feel very small. You're dwarfed, aren't you, by everyone around you. Very small, but yet this verse says, I am the Lord your God. He owns you in an environment like that where you are seen maybe and treated as if you don't even exist. You're invisible. Or when you caught in a traffic jam on the A48 or M4 and you just see miles and miles of cars and you think, how insignificant am I right now struggling here because I've got a, a deadline somewhere to be but can't get there, but yet these words ring true. He, he says, I am the Lord your God. I sent Jesus for you. I was as pleased with you as I was with him. Remember, that's, that's from last week. He blurts stuff out about you too. So that's, how am I supposed to do it? Well, you've got to get that right first of all. You've also get, got to get this right. He has brought you out of Egypt. Not only has God solved your biggest problem, he solved this, that you were living under the wrath of God. You were a slave. So he is your God, and he has brought you out of Egypt. That life, of bur that burdensome life, that life with your lust, brings about an anger from God, a cursed life. Or if you want to understand it a bit better, an unlucky life. Unlucky, you know that sort of term? So whatever you put your hand to, you're like, it just doesn't work out. How unlucky am I? But actually there's someone there who is frustrating your plans. There is someone there who wants you to know that things are not right. You try and do this with your life and that with your life. It just doesn't pan out. I am unlucky. Well, yeah, that's one way of saying it. But another way of saying it is that you're cursed. You're under a curse. And that is our big problem here. We are slaves to our sin, slaves under the wrath of God. But here he tells us that this God who has made us his own has brought us out of that. He has brought us out that he might be our God. And he has set us free. And when you get into the commands, how then are you supposed to do this? You've got to get those things right. Then how am I supposed to live a life like this? You can't. What, 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 what is your experience and mine? Is that we walk into this supermarket, don't we? <clears throat> and we're thinking, this, this life is brilliant. But where do you end up? Where do you end up? You end up next to the tomatoes, don't you? Looking at this box. All that garden was, was Adam and Eve's. Don't eat of that tree. That's where she ended up. Standing in front of that tree, reaching up, taking the fruit from that tree, eating that fruit and losing everything. Losing everything. See, that's where we end up. It's really, really bizarre, isn't it? But isn't that the truth? You go around this massive supermarket, and you're like, oh, excited, excited for life. And that's where you end up. Isn't that your experience of sin? Is that this one thing captivates you and to the exclusion of all else? 
all the dangers that it poses. You, it just doesn't really mean anything, does it? It doesn't really hit home. It doesn't seem that vivid. It seems like a dream. There's only this focus, and you end up amongst all of this, fixating on this box of pomegranates. That's where we find ourselves. And the Bible tells us that this is what we're like. In Romans chapter 7, it says, uh, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. And Paul summarizes this. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched woman you are. That amongst all of this, all that God has given you, you end up here. This life of sin and selfishness, self-centeredness, just wanting to feed you to the exclusion of God and all others. What a wretched people we are. But there's an answer to it, isn't there? In Romans 7, there comes Romans 8. Romans 8 starts like this. When we ask the question, who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, there's no condemnation in Jesus. Jesus didn't live that life. Jesus, when he came, wasn't fixated on this box. He didn't end up there. When Jesus came, he lived out all of these commands. He loved his mom and he listened to his mom. He loved his dad and listened to his dad. He loved the Lord his God and didn't have any uh, idols no one apart from him. He was faithful to him and loved him only. Jesus lived all of this so that in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation. And that's who you've got to come to. You've got to come to Jesus Christ. You've got to come to him. And when these things come up, when you are standing at that box and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here again. But I'm here lusting after something, committing adultery, or I'm going to just worship something else. When you find yourself there, it's not about trying harder. It's not about that. It's not about, like, let me just get a grip here and try and sort this out. No, it's not. It's about looking to the one who has lived all of this. It is looking to the one, then, who gives you his spirit and is able to give you power to live a different way. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about the problem with the Ten Commandments. It says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, why is the law weak? Because we can't do it. So what we can do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. He killed sin in you. That's what he did. And he has given you his spirit. And he has written his law on your heart. That's what he has done. You see, when, they, uh, when Moses went up, to the, up the mountain, he had to chisel out two tablets and he took these two tablets of stone up with him. It must look like a headstone, right, of a grave or something like that. And he's carrying them up the mountain. And God writes the commandments on them both, front and back. 
It's not that he put uh, four on one and six on the other one. He put all ten on one, front and back. All ten on the second one, front and back. One copy for us, one copy for him. One copy goes into the Ark of the Covenant. It goes into that, into that box which signifies the throne of God. That is in the Holy of Holies where you can't get to, where only the great high priest can come in. It lies beneath the mercy seat where blood for sin is atoned for. It is there in heaven, a copy in heaven. Jesus completely kept these Ten Commandments. He was perfect in every shape and form. In every thought, in every deed, He was perfect. He kept it all for you. And here's our copy. Here it is. This agreement that's been made of like, this is the life. Live this life. I can't do it. Well, I am going to own you. And I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to forgive you your sin. I'm going to send my son to die for you. And then to give you his spirit. And this spirit will move you to live that kind of life. You struggle with these sort of things? Idolatry? Yeah, Paul says greed is idolatry. Anyone who's greedy here, Mez has got a great video on the 20 schemes thing about addiction being idolatry. All of us are idolaters. And when we see that, what do we do? Oh, no. No, you, you're just standing right in front of the box. You need to look to the one who has done it all. The one who has defeated sin. And you go to him. He gives you his spirit. Those who live according to the spirit will not gratify the desires of their sinful flesh. Do you see that? Those who walk by the spirit will not. They just won't. They won't. When you are faced with this, any of these commandments, if they say, oh, mate, that is not me, then it's killing me, this one. Then you talk to the one. You run to the one who's paid for your sin, who will write this in your heart, will give you his spirit to move you, and will give you all of the help. Do you remember Titus uh, 2, verses 11 to 13? It says, for the grace of God has appeared uh, that, uh, to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And yes, to live in self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, that grace teaches us. His help, His friendship. His undeserved kindness, all of that teaches us to walk away from that box, to not get into it, to walk away. He can give us the power and the help to do that. And that is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. It is the good life. That's what He wants you to live, the good life. He doesn't want you living in condemnation. He doesn't want you crawling across the floor saying, I am a worm, and I'm not worthy to, to be alive. I am a rubbish Christian. That is not where he wants you. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing crawling around on the floor? 
call out to my son. Call out to the one who's fulfilled it all, who's kept it all in your place and in your stead. Call out to him who will give you the spirit and live and walk according to the spirit. And you're not getting involved in all that rubbish. You'll not end up killing yourself. You'll end up living this good life. That is what he wants. There are no rubbish Christians because Jesus has paid no condemnation. He has paid for our sin and he has given us his spirit. That is the introduction here to the Ten Commandments. That is what he wants you to understand about them. So as we go through them in the next couple of weeks, this is the good life. The good life that was out of reach for you, was totally out of reach, left in your burden, left in restlessness, left in darkness and confusion. But because of Jesus, this is the life you can live. He wants you to live it and live it to the full. It's very similar, isn't it, to the, the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? Against, against all of these things, there is no law. Is it that law of love? Uh, nah, there's no, you can just do whatever you want. Love your wife, love your children, love your parents, love God. There's, there's no limits, no limits. Just stay away from these things. These things will kill you. They will kill you. And with Jesus' help, you can stay away from them. With Jesus' help, you can be a pure husband and a pure wife. You can be a pure man, a pure woman. Not because you're great, because you've got a great Savior who says, no, come, come, I'll give you my spirit. Keep coming. I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you this life. Let's, let's, let's enjoy that life as we come these Ten Commandments. So I pray, and then we'll stand. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for this life that you've called us into, this life that is available. Thank you for the angels being so excited about it. Uh, pray that we'll be excited about it, uh, that we won't uh, slip into thinking that you, you hate us and you're mean to us. Uh, that's the devil's lies, the same for Eve in the beginning. Help us to see this is the good life. This is the life that Jesus lived, and what a man he was, and what a life he led. Pray that we would li live this life. Yeah, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.